Welcome to New Creation, a home for the creative community of Los Angeles. For more information, visit our website at newcreationla.com. And now, the sermon. Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me. I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me. You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all his assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. What are the terrifying giants in your life? What are the things that you just can't seem to have any victory over? Things that just seem too big to overcome. Too much to even approach. Well, there is much for us in this passage today in seeking answers to those questions. And it comes in a story that was written 3,000 years ago. And it still speaks to us today because it is God speaking to us today. We've been going through a series called David and the greater king, and so we're going through the books of First and Second Samuel, and taking a look at the life of David and seeing how it points to the life of Jesus. So last week, 
we started looking at the story of David from the perspective that it points to something bigger, someone bigger, that it does point to Jesus, the greater David, the greater king. And understanding the story of David will actually help us to understand who Jesus is. And so last week we heard the story of young David being secretly anointed. He was secretly anointed as the king of God's people, and we saw that he is an unexpected king. He is a king uh, that uh, people would never look at and think, yes, him, he's going to lead us, right? And so uh, we learned that mankind, we measure by the externals, but that is not how God looks. David makes no sense as a choice from externals. But to God, God sees the heart. And he doesn't just observe the heart, but he transforms the heart. He provides the heart. And so today we have another story that, again, shows us that temptation to look at the externals and potentially miss what God sees. So let's look together to see God's heart and God's word. So I want to give you a little bit of context. I'll pull up a map for you here. So uh, the Philistines and the Israelites. So uh, the Philistines are a, uh, a coastal people, right? And the Israelites, they live in this hill country, the mountain area. And the Philistines are their greatest rival. And so what the Philistines are trying to do is actually to come up from the coast, ascend up to the mountain, and they want to get to Bethlehem, and they want to bring division in the kingdom of Israel. They want to actually divide it in two. So Israel gets word of this, right? And they say, okay, we've got to go down and defend. Don't let them come up to us. We've got to go down to them. And so they go down the mountain. Now, there's these little valleys that go from the sea all the way up into the hill country, into the mountains. And so uh, the Philistines are coming up through the valley of Elah. And so this valley uh, has ridges, you know, on each side. So we've got valley ridges. And what we have is uh, to the north, the Israelites come down and they're camped at one of those ridges. And then across the valley on the other side, on the southern end, we have the Philistines. And they are camped there. So the Israelites are there to defend the Philistines are there to fight and take it. But the problem is, is there's this standoff. Because when you're on higher ground, you have the advantage. And so because they're both at separate uh, bases of the mountain, both parties have the higher ground. And so if one party comes into the valley, they're going to have to go up the hill to try to defeat the enemy. And that's a suicide mission right? Because you no longer have the advantage. And so we've got both parties just camped. Okay, we're at a standoff now. If either one of us moves, we're dead meat to the other group. So 
what to do. Well, in the ancient Near East, one of the battle tactics was something called the one-man battle. And so if we have a standoff like this, what we're going to do is we're going to send our best guy, you send your best guy, and they fight together, just one-on-one. And whoever wins, wins the battle for the whole group. And so that's the context here. So the Philistines say, okay, we're going to send our giant. We're sending our biggest guy, Goliath. And so Goliath comes out, and he is enormous. He is about nine and a half feet tall. His armor alone weighs about 126 pounds. The tip of his spear weighs 16 pounds. This guy is the most intimidating man in the world. Now, if we think back to that last chapter, there's Goliath, right? So intimidating. That's who they put up. So if we go back to this last chapter, we see this. And this is our lesson that we're trying to remember. Uh, 1 Samuel 8, 19 and 20. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. This is when they're requesting to have a king like all the other nations. And they say, then we'll be like all the other nations with a king to lead us, to go out before us and fight our battles. So now they have a king. It's Saul, right? So he's supposed to be the guy. If there's a one-on-one match, Saul, get out there. You're going to be the one to fight our battles. And in fact, we read last week that Saul's a head taller than anyone else in Israel. So that guy is a giant as well. It should be Saul that represents Israel. You know who else is in the army? David's three oldest brothers. If you remember last week, when Samuel saw the brothers, he saw the oldest one and said, oh, look at that guy. He's awesome. It must be him, right? But all those three brothers that we saw, they're in the army and they're sitting on their hands. I'm not going out. Saul's thinking, I'm not going out. I'm not going to face that giant. It's a suicide mission. It's impossible. Can't beat him. So who is going to represent Israel? Well, this standstill goes for 40 days. Every day, Goliath goes out and he taunts the Israeli army. Let's see what he says. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. The camera now switches in the story, and it moves over to David. And so if you remember David... After being secretly anointed king, where does he go? Does anybody remember? Where does he go? 
He goes back to tend the sheep, right? Back to the work as a shepherd. So David's out doing his shepherding duties, and his father, Jesse, calls upon him. And he says, little Davy, I want you to go, and I want you to bring your older brother some bread. So I've prepared some bread. Take it to them. And I've got this plate of 10 cheeses, and I want you to take this to the commander. Right? So David, secretly anointed king, I need you to do a food run. Go do a little snack run. You're going to be Uber Eats guy today. Right? What does that feel like if you've been anointed king in front of your father, in front of your brothers, and now their assignment, why don't you go do a little sandwich run? I'd be irate, right? But David, he does it. Okay, I'll do it. He has a servant's heart. And so he goes. And he leaves early in the morning. And when he gets to the camp where all the soldiers are, the ranks have already left. They're headed down the hill to stand ground once again. And so David drops the food off with the attendant at camp, and he runs to his brothers. He runs through the ranks, and he gets to them, and he sees them, and they tell him about Goliath. Have you heard of this guy, Goliath? Have you seen him? Have you seen how enormous he is? We're all terrified. But the king, our king, Saul, he has said this. Anybody who can kill the giant will receive riches. Will receive Saul's daughter's hand. He'll become royalty. And so David hears this, and his response is outrage. Outrage at this Philistine. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that should defy the armies of the living God? He is offended. And the oldest brother in old brother fashion starts to get mad at his little brother. Starts to get mad at what he hears. And he says, why are you even here? Aren't there sheep you're supposed to be attending? I know why you're here. You just want to see the battle. You just want to look and watch. And it's evil. It's wrong. And David in younger brother fashion says, what would I do? What? I didn't do anything. I just asked a question. Who's this Philistine? Whatever, right? And he starts saying the same speech to anyone who will listen. Who does this Philistine think he is? And so word starts going through the ranks. And it gets to Saul, the king. And so Saul calls David. He calls him forward. Now, here's the thing. Goliath is expecting another giant. He's expecting Saul. In the ancient Near East, there are three different kinds of warriors. Okay, so the first kind of warrior that we have is the cavalry. This would be men on horseback. This would be uh, men in chariots, right? So the cavalry. The second kind of warriors that we have is the infantry, the foot soldiers. 
and they are wearing armor, they're carrying swords, they're carrying shields. And the third type of warrior is the projectile warriors. And so these would be the archers and the slingers. Now a slinger is someone that carries this weapon. A sling is not like a slingshot, right? So a slinger is this little leather pouch that is to carry a a lead ball or a rock in the middle. And then you've got two ropes. And what the slinger does is he slings that, that rope around and he gets it going so fast, like six or seven revolutions per second. And then he lets go of one side of the rope and launches the rock or the lead ball. And so it becomes like a pistol. Super dangerous. In fact, um, there's medieval paintings that show slingers hitting birds mid-flight. The scriptures even talk about this warrior class of slingers. Let's take a look at Judges chapter 20, 15, and 16. And so the people of Benjamin mustered out of their cities on that day 26,000 men who drew the sword besides the inhabitants of Geba, who mustered 700 chosen men. Among all these 700 chosen men who were left-handed, everyone could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. So these slingers are warriors. They are projectile warriors. Now, Goliath, which one do you think he is? Well, Goliath is infantry. He is heavy infantry soldier, right? And so he is armed for close combat, hand-to-hand combat. Now, Saul's expectation is for another infantry soldier to go out and face Goliath. He's not going to do it, and so he set the reward. If somebody else will go do it, they'll be rewarded handsomely. I I need another soldier, another infantry guy. And so uh, David goes before Saul, and David tells Saul this. He says, let no man's heart back down in fear because of Goliath. So he says, you know what? I'll do it. I'll go and fight him. And Saul says, you can't. You're not able. You're just a boy. And in fact, this guy, Goliath, he's been a killer since he was a boy. And so David reminds Saul of his history as a shepherd, right? He said, you know, when I was a shepherd, which was like earlier that morning, (laughs) typical teenage Fashion. I used to be a shepherd, like, earlier today. Um, But he says, you know, when I was shepherding, I would have lions and bears. And they would come up, and they would snatch a lamb, right? And I would go after the lions and bears. And I would strike them, and I would pull that lamb away and rescue it. And if those lions and bears came after me, I would strike them dead. And so this Goliath, he's like one of those. He's like a lion or a bear that I have struck and killed. That's what I did to them. That's what I will do to Goliath. 
So Saul likes what he hears. He says, all right, go get him. Go get him. May the Lord be with you. And then he says, here's my armor, right? Because he thinks, I'm sending in a foot soldier. I'm sending in infantry. Now Saul is the biggest man in Israel, and David is but a youth. So imagine putting on that armor. <laughs> right? It doesn't fit. The armor doesn't fit. David says, I, I haven't tested this armor. I can't move around in this stuff. So he says, I'm taking it off. And he picks up his shepherd's staff, and he picks up five rocks, and he goes. Now, Goliath, I want to talk about Goliath a little bit. Malcolm Gladwell has done some really fascinating research on the David and Goliath story. And his book on David and Goliath, he points out that many, many medical experts believe that Goliath had a medical condition called acromegalia. Acromegaly, rather. Acromegaly. And so acromegaly is... Uh, a condition where you have a benign tumor in the pituitary gland and it causes an overproduction of human growth hormone. Now, in recent times, in fact, in 1940, there's a man named Robert Wadlow. And he is the largest man in recorded history. Modern recorded history, that is. He was 8 foot 11. He died at the age of 22, and they said that he had never stopped growing. So he was growing right up to the day that he died. He had acromegaly. Uh, another famous person that has had this condition, Andre the Giant, right? Talk about trying to fight giants, right? There's our, uh, our princess bride. And so uh, he also had this. Uh, so it's actually a fairly uh, common ailment. And so uh, this would explain Goliath's enormous height. Uh, one of the other symptoms of this condition is vision problems. Often you actually have double vision because the way that that tumor hits the optic nerve. And so this would actually help us explain some of Goliath's strange behavior. Uh, we saw earlier that he's led out by an attendant. So strange, right? This giant, just covered in armor, is led out by a shield bearer? Why would that be? We also see that as uh, he sees David coming, that he's offended. Let's take a look at verse 43, 41 through 43. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Plural, sticks. David has a shepherd's staff, 
So what is Goliath talking about? Sticks. Well, if he has that medical condition, that double vision, oh, he's seeing two sticks where there's only one. So if he has this condition, it makes sense. He has to be let out because he can't see very well. Right? He sees David coming and he sees double vision. Why are you coming at me with sticks like I'm some kind of dog? Well, David moves forward. David takes the rocks and he starts running toward Goliath. He's quick and he's agile. He has no intention of hand-to-hand combat. David is a slinger, right? He's not coming up with a slingshot like I heard that story growing up, but he is a slinger. Not another infantryman coming to fight, but a slinger. And so Goliath is a sitting duck. Goliath has no chance And so David, he takes that sling and he spins it as he's running toward him and he lets it go and it strikes Saul in the head. Sorry, thank you. It strikes Goliath in the head. Thank you for listening. All right. So it knocks him to the ground, right? That rock is coming so fast Goliath doesn't even have any opportunity to move. Think of the scene in Indiana Jones when he's facing the incredible swordsman doing all these crazy moves, right? And Indiana Jones just takes out the gun and shoots. That's exactly what happens here. There is no chance against a slinger. And then David steps on top of Goliath and he takes his sword and he cuts his head off. This story just shows us this stream of unexpected, of unforeseen, right? We have this unexpected warrior, the shepherd boy, using an unexpected weapon, not spears and swords, but a sling, resulting in an unexpected victory. All the Philistines Flee all the way home. If David loses, all of Israel loses. But if David wins, all of Israel wins. And it's victory in David. And so the representative, the head of the Philistines, has been cut off. His head literally cut off. Off. And Israel is being given a new head, a new representative, David. So who's the hero of this story? The hero is God. It's his battle. Goliath wasn't going up against David. He was going up against God, the living God. David told Goliath, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And so this incredible courage and faith is what the Lord provided 
for David. It's what he saw for him. David has been anointed by God and he has been equipped by God's spirit. He says, the Lord gave me power. So let me ask you this. Where do you see yourself in this story? Are you supposed to identify with the representative of all God's people? No. We are not David in this story. We're the people of God. We're the bystanders waiting for someone to come and do what we cannot. However, I want to suggest that there may be someone else for you to identify with in this story. You may be Goliath in this story. One of my favorite painters, Caravaggio, paints the scene of David taking the head of Goliath. And what's fascinating about this painting is that the face of Goliath, Caravaggio paints his own face as the face of Goliath. As if to say, maybe I'm Goliath. Now, why would we think that? Why might you be Goliath? Well, if you are relying on your strength, that that's all you want anyone else to see, you might be Goliath. Maybe you've become overconfident. Maybe you're not even there yet. Maybe you just want to be like Goliath. Oh, if I could be strong like that. Well, maybe your strengths could be the very thing that leads to your destruction. Well, in the face of that, I have good news for you today. We have a greater king, an unexpected king. And the more we understand the unexpectedness of David, the more we will understand Jesus. Because Jesus fights an unexpected battle. The battle that Jesus fights is not one against Rome. It's one against sin and death. One against guilt and shame. And in the battle that Jesus takes up, there is an unexpected weapon. It's not a sling, but it is a cross. Jesus fights by laying down his life. And so we have this unexpected victory, that victory comes through death and then resurrection. And so the good news for us today is this, that Jesus is the king who has defeated our greatest enemy already. So what does that mean for us? Well, if you don't believe that Jesus has defeated your greatest giant, then you will be overwhelmed by the smaller giants in this life. You'll be overwhelmed by suffering. You'll be overwhelmed by criticism, by failure, by addiction, by shame, by guilt, those things will overwhelm 
those small giants will overwhelm. But think about it. If you're overwhelmed by failure, what will get you past that is to believe that the biggest failure has been conquered for me. Death has been conquered. Jesus died for my sins and rose from the grave. So whatever thing I fail at, the greatest failure has no power over me anymore. And it changes the way that you experience failure. And so the answer for us is to believe, to believe in the victory of the greater king on our behalf. And that is what will give us power over those smaller giants in our life. So if we make this story of David about us, then the message is this. It's be like David. He's the hero. You need to have greater courage in the face of giants. You need to try harder. Is that encouraging? No. Does that sound like good news? No, it doesn't. But if the story is about Jesus, then guess what? We already have victory. We have victory over the most dangerous giants in our life. The victory is already ours. 2 Peter verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 3 says this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's not a promise. That is a re reality. His divine power has granted. It's already been granted. It's already yours. You have all that you need in this life for godliness and to live. It's already granted to you. The victory of Jesus is already, but it is also not yet. The return of our king is imminent. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. And when we do, death will be no more. Pain and suffering will be no more. Crying will be no more. For there is a new creation. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for this story. Thank you for showing us a better understanding of our greater king and the unexpectedness of the battle, of the weapon, of the victory. And Lord, we give you thanks that it has been granted victory for us, that we have victory in Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that you would provide belief for each of us, that you would provide for our hearts to believe the reality that the victory is already ours, and so that guilt and shame no longer have power over us, are no longer giants that we fear, and the same for failure, for criticism, they no longer have power over us. Free us, Jesus, by what you have already accomplished. And so we give you thanks in the name of Jesus and the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.
Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this sermon and encourage you to become a regular member of our online community. To find out more about the church, visit our website at newcreation